I like that. It, I love it's that more reading. like Kefka's story. Yeah, in is is represented here in this boss. His story <sighs> through the game. That's so cool. Um, or the way he views himself, I guess. Right, yeah, the way yeah. he views his own his hero transcendent journey, journey yeah, or whatever yeah. you want to call it. Welcome back to the State of the Arc podcast. My name is Mike. My name is Kason. And this is our final episode of Final Fantasy VI. Now, here's something you're going to notice. After a, about a wardrobe the, change. After about the first 10 minutes, <laughs> we're gonna, our, our clothes will be different. And this is because yeah. um, we recorded this episode last week, but we, we felt we needed to respond to some things um, <laughs> that went up, or some things like in the comments that, that yeah. for, for episode 9, which is out now. But tens not. We're a week ahead. So, anyway, there were some comments that we we wanted to respond to. So, um, there's two more areas, and, and we actually said this at the end of the episode. We're like, oh yeah, we forgot to talk about the ancient castle. Oh yeah, yeah we forgot to talk about that. <laughs> Oops. Um, I don't think that there's necessarily a ton to discuss on this. There's just a little bit, but I think it is important enough to actually bring up. Some. I think so too. And some of this just comes from the game being a Open lot of missable ended. content. There's yeah. just a ton of missable content. Yeah. Um, but before we do that, I just wanted to respond to kind of a, a, a certain sentiment I saw come up a couple times. Yeah. Um, and, and like, I, like, I just really, usually I try these days not to like read too much into comments or right, like right, respond right. to them yeah. if they're negative or whatever. I've been <laughs> right. doing a lot better at that lately, but this is one that is not necessarily negative. It's just there was a, a sentiment shared by more than one person. And when that happens, it's like, okay, I feel like I should say something about it. Um, so there was this idea, you guys are rushing through the end of this game um, because you're just like wanting to get on to the next one or that uh, it's just, mm -hmm. you, you know, you, you're, you want to be done with this or something. Um, I so I doubt it. Uh, uh, no, <laughs> I just want to say like, no, that's not the case. Um, anything that we may have like missed talking about was not done purposefully because we're just trying to finish yeah. one of our favorite games that we've ever covered on this podcast, uh, you know, yeah, sooner awesome. or later. Um, uh, there's no need if, if, if it come like if you, if you're feeling like, oh, you guys are rushing past something, I think that's important to talk about. There, there's no, just remember, like, there's no need to assume that we're doing something in bad faith for a reason like that. <laughs> like, we're not like, oh, this podcast isn't getting the numbers we want. We better hurry up and get to the next game or something like that. Like, that's never going to be a reason, like, why we would right. want to rush through something. Um, it, it's, it's usually because there, there might just have not been something there we f took a note on. You know, like yeah. we might have done the content, but it's like, I didn't feel any, I didn't, nothing came to my mind right. that I felt was worth saying. Not that the, the, the <laughs> area is not worth talking about, but I didn't have yeah. a spark of an idea to discuss something there. This game you know? was just really hard to try to talk about linearly. Like my notes for one thing was like in a different place for Mike. Sure. And we were kept having to scroll up and down and all that stuff. Yeah. So yeah, a lot of times um, a game like this that is just so... Um, so it's, there's a lot of freedom yes. to the character, which is awesome. Yes. But then we have to come and talk about a linear yes. story and <laughs> all of a sudden, uh, it makes it a lot more difficult. Yeah. So, um, so that's, so if, if that happens, you can always just say like, Hey, um, what do you think about this? Um, uh, you know, I, I haven't heard you guys discuss ancient castle yet. Right. Uh, or do you have thoughts on that? Will that be covered? 
um, here are some of my thoughts of why I think it's important or some things that I think would be worth discussing if you were to do this. If you leave a comment like that, like we're going to see that and we're like, oh yeah, let's, you know, right. like cut in something next episode or something like that, like we're doing now. But, but you have no, no need to assume that there's some bad faith reason why we're trying to just blow through this and we don't care anymore. Right. Um, the other thing I wanted to say is that, uh, is, is a matter of expectations. So we try to say this at the beginning of every podcast at the, in the first episode of each new series. Right. This is a podcast that is focused on storytelling techniques on thematic and literary concepts. Yeah, like art analysis. Yes. And, yeah. Not on lore or like exhaustively summarizing the events of the story in every specific detail. Yes. Um, or, yeah. Like, I, I, it's, and it's not that we're uncomfortable doing that or like we're totally uninterested in it. It's the fact that like there's a limited amount of time in our oh, lives. <laughs> and if we're going to be focusing on one thing, we might as well do that like to the extent or with the depth that we want to do it without right. compromising that to then, Oh, I've also got to know every single thing about the lore and world of the story. I've got to know every single the thing about how the mechanics techniques, yeah, of yeah. the game work. Right. And uh, now, I've got, now doing. I need to know every single difference between every single version of the game that's come out. You know what I mean? Like there's a level of research into being that exhaustive we, on every aspect of the game that is just not feasible. We just aren't doing that. Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're analyzing the story. Uh, the main line story of the game, and that's what we're here for. Yes. That's why we're here. That's what we're doing. So just uh, moving forward, just realize, like, we're not here to regurgitate the, the, the summary of the game or the lore or anything like that. We're, we're looking specifically at the, uh, the, the, the core themes and the philosophy and the symbolism yeah. and the literary elements. So... Um, if there are things outside the scope of that that we don't touch on, it's probably because we're not seeing how they link to that discussion. Right. Not because they're not cool right. or because it's not interesting to theory craft about, you know, some people brought up Mog and like there's more to talk about there because of the other Moogles you know, and, and yeah. you've got like the charm or the, the, um, the, the relic there that yes. might suggest he had a girlfriend and that, you know, right. but it's like that. That is great content to talk about. I'm not, I'm not disparaging anybody for wanting to have that conversation. It's just not linking to what we're talking about right. as like the main point of what we do on our podcast. As far as Mog's dialogue goes, he didn't seem to be all that affected by it because he didn't say anything about it. <laughs> <laughs> he said, oh, I'm the boss of this other guy. Let's go get him too. He didn't like you know, sit there and talk about the way that Tara or some of the other characters did their past trauma and, and, you know, things that we could actually like take and dissect. Right. So when that happens, that's the reason, but it, right. we may miss something that's worth talking about. And we, we encourage you as always bring it up. Yes. Just again, I, I just feel like some people seem to assume that we were brushing past this because of a bad faith reason. Mm. And just know that's not the case. Um, I, I don't think Guggo sucks. <laughs> we didn't I just say don't sucks. use him. <laughs> I just don't use him. I, I was admitting I, I, I have right. no experience really using this character and my reason why, which was that he can't equip espers. It's not right. because he can't get the magic spells. It's because I tend to use the progression system of the game to change the character's stats over time. Right. So, like, I can't equip espers on him. I can't change his 
you know, his magic stat on level ups. Now, that doesn't mean he can't be just as useful in the battle mechanics. It's just that was my reason and playing the game. Oh, I can't equip Spaceforce. I, I don't think I'll worry about this right, right. now. There's so I'll many just, characters. <laughs> I've, I've already worked on these characters the whole yeah. game. Like, I'm just going to keep using them. Yeah. That was my reason, not because I think he's a terrible character or something. So hopefully that clears some things up. Um, anything you want no, to say to no. add to that or are we good? No, I think we're good. Okay. So we want to talk about two areas. One being the ancient castle um, and the other being Ebot's Rock. Uh, Ebot's Rock is kind of a, a side quest for Strago. You get a little bit more background on him yeah. there and his, his buddy right. Gung Ho. Gung Ho, yeah. <laughs> Love it. Um, but ancient castle is more, it, it gives you some tidbits about like the world a thousand years ago, possibly yeah, during the bit. first war of the Magi. Um, so what notes did you take? For um, this area. This area, I don't have much to say. I remember when I first played through it, I, I didn't know exactly what was going on. I kind of figured it out, like, hey, a thousand years ago, a thing happened. Um, but I don't, I didn't know the significance of it, other than to say that there was previously a woman, a princess, mm -hmm. in the SNES that says queen, who fell in love with Odin, the Esper. Yes. And through the course of the War of the Magi, becomes turned into stone but uh, a statue that is capable of crying. And this seemed to touch Tara specifically, where mm. she said, oh, whoa, I'm not the only one. There was another human Esper love connection, right? So that uh, nonsense about well, how do we know unless we try, it had been tried before. Um, <laughs> and I don't think it worked. So anyways, um, that's all I really have there, though. There's not a ton there. I read through the whole uh, scenario today, and there's not a ton of dialogue there. Okay, so the way that you get to the ancient castle is you, you go, um, you ride Figaro Castle. It goes between Figaro area and then the Kolingan Desert yeah. area next to it. And like as you're like down underground kind of like traveling, um, the NPC that operates the, I don't know what you call it, the, the digging of the castle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, the, the uh, what's it called? The... The, the mathematical field that vibrates the... Oh, in, in, in Xenogears, yeah. <laughs> what was it called? Gosh, Hilbert, I can't Hilbert? remember that. The Hilbert, no, Hilbert, no, no, Hilbert Effect Zeno was Xenosaga. Oh, I can't I remember, can't remember anymore. There was some, yeah, like technical term, but I can't remember it <laughs> either. Anyways, this guy says, there's something odd about this stratum. It's as if we bumped into something. So you can get off and like go explore this uh, these ancient ruins yeah, this, that are underground yeah. from a civilization that existed... Um, during the war of the Magi. Yeah, a thousand years ago. Yeah. So you kind of come out and you're seeing a, a flashback, basically, of an Esper attack. Um, this is Odin, uh, the Odin Esper, and you also get Raiden here too. So there's two Espers you get from doing mm. this quest. Um, so the NPC says, it's an Esper attack. Let's show him what our Esper, or some of our Esper magic. A thousand years in the past, a battle was waged here. Only Odin is here. Your wounds healed. You know, they're all fighting. It's a pretty cool shot, though, because, like, Odin comes out, and there's, like, a bunch of dudes, like, lined up to face him, and he just, like, like just, like, yeah. quickly, like, goes through, and they'll just, like, all split apart. That's right. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> just cuts them all you, in like, half. cut them in half. That's crazy. <laughs> that was pretty violent, man. Yeah, so it's, pr it's pretty cool. Yeah. I, this is this is some of my favorite footage to use when I talk about Final Fantasy VI and videos and stuff like that. I think oh, I put this? it into um, the old retrospective that I did. But, no, no. Um, <clears throat> don't do it. You can't turn me into Magicite, he says. 
Adam Edge, I think, is the uh, the, the the name of the ability he uses. Um, let's see. So there's so the party says in response to this, there's an ancient legend. It tells of a battle between Odin and a powerful sorcerer that took place in a great hall of this castle. Um, so you're going to explore it a little bit, and you get. Odin's Magicite Shard. Yep. Um, you can also go into the basement of this area um, where the queen was. And, and you were talking about this, uh, the link maybe between the yeah. queen story and maybe Terra a little bit. Yeah. Um, and th this is if, if Terra's in your party. Right. Then when we, re when we see this whole thing. Um, well, here's the line here that's read. Um, a book with a gem encrusted cover, the queen's diary. I realize now that I am in love with Odin. This is the queen talking. Sorry, the princess. Depends on which version <laughs> you're playing, right? This breaks my this this breaks every rule of our society. But my heart longs for this noble, elegant man, mm -hmm. the god Odin. Of course. Yep. <laughs> How could anyone blame me? After the fighting is over, I'm going to bear my soul to him, yep. and then Terra will say, just kind of to herself, "Love between a human and an esper." Dot 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 dot. Yep. Um, that's really kind of the end of it, though. Yeah. Like we just don't see much more, right. other than she got turned to stone. Yes. Somehow. Yes. A stone that can still shed tears. Yeah. And then um, Odin got turned into Magicite. Yep. So how, whatever happened there, it just, uh, that's how it ended. Yep. And so, yeah, the party says even the queen was turned to stone. Uh, I guess maybe other people must have also been turned to stone. Or even. Is that even, I can't even the queen was turned to stone? There may have been a lot of stones there. I what just, does it I can't say remember. in the Japanese? Same thing. The Japanese, even. oh gosh. Um... So it's the same thing. Even the princess okay. was turned to stone. So I wonder if maybe other people had been petrified during this battle or something. Um, anyways, uh, the Odin Magicite gains a level and then you, uh, or, and becomes the Magicite Raiden. So yeah, that's it. That's what happens in this area. That's it. That's it. Um, it's just worth knowing that humans were falling for gods. Yep. Kind of. Once again, the Xenogears <laughs> kind of like, um, you know, the, what is it? Mm -hmm. The daughters of men and the sons of God oh, and right. the Nephilim and all that stuff. Yep, the Nephilim. Um, anywho, she falls in love with this and it uh, ends in the destruction of the world. Yeah, so it's, then it's there's kind a dragon of a cool too. scene. Oh, yeah. Oh, the eight dragons but, that you yeah. go and yeah, slay. Yeah, yeah kind of a side quest thing that you can do. Um, yeah, I just don't really have that much to say about it. I mean, it's cool. It's a cool scene. It is um, cool. It's short. Just not sure, like, what else really to talk about in regards to the, the game's core themes or whatnot. So um, the other one that we wanted to kind of touch on quickly was Ebot's Rock. So there's a side mm. quest. This is a character you could have talked to earlier, is Gung-Ho. And he talks oh, yeah. about this monster that he and Strago in their younger years had sort of been seeking out and hunting. And he, he you know, is questioning whether uh, Strago has given up on his sort of uh, quest to seek out and, and hunt this monster. And oh, yeah. he sort of like calls him a coward, I think, earlier for like, he's accusing him of having given up on it or whatever. Yeah. So this is something that you can do at Ebot's Rock. Um, 
So let's see. We have an NPC here who says, if you're looking for the man dressed all in black, he left for the Coliseum. Oh, that, that was for Shadow. That's so Shadow, yeah. This, this, this script is so jumbled. Okay. This one says, I saw a monster floating in the sky. It looked just like a fish. For the first time in 50 years, Ebot's rock is above water. Head north of town if you want to see it. So this is what directs you to go there. Um, so... Let's skip forward a little bit. Uh, Realm and Strago, if you go into their house, I think Realm is saying, oh, it's nice to be back. Like, you know, time to relax. Mm. And then this is terrible. Gung Ho is hurt. Gung Ho. Gung Ho, wake up, says Strago. Who did this to you? And Gung Ho says it was Hydon, the beast uh, you and I used to hunt. I almost had it. You took on Hydon? Oh, cough, cough, cough. Please, no. you must avenge me, he says. <laughs> this is hilarious knowing how this scenario ends up, you know, at the end, right? right. Where it's like, Gung-Ho was fine. <laughs> he, he wasn't actually hurt. What Gung-Ho is trying to do is he's trying to get Strago yeah. to confront basically his own past yes, or to right. confront his own shadow self right. or to take on, you know, something uh, on his own that's been holding him back mm -hmm. for a very long time. Yeah. And Gung-Ho is here. Pretending like if it's vengeance, then Strago will go back and finally get past this <laughs> this thing that he couldn't get past for so long. Right. So he's he's pretending. He's yeah. just trying to get him to go and fight this monster. I spent my youth chasing that creature, says Strago. To do it again at this age is more than I bargained for. Gung ho, rest easy. I'll do it for you. So he pretends to die, <laughs> unless <laughs> yeah. he's just so hurt that he's like. I don't know if he died or if he just fell asleep or passed out or yeah, but he yeah something like that. that he definitely he's on that level. Yeah, yeah, he's like pretending to be at the at least at the you know at death's door. Just a minute. I don't think you're going or don't think you're going alone, are you? Says Realm. It's been too many years of my life hunting that thing. It it is my obsession, not yours. But Grandpa, the obsession of yours could easily slay you. You're my grandfather. I can't just sit idly by. Sorry, That's Realm. Good. I'm so grateful that you care. But as its name implies, the Hydon is extremely difficult to find. Unless right. <laughs> now, think about that. It's hi hidden. Hidden. Yeah. The 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 Hidon. Hidon. The Hidon is hidden. Yeah. As the name implies. <laughs> I love it. That's so good. <laughs> unless I go alone, it will not show itself. Mm. Next stop, Ebox Rock. So they go there. Oh yeah, this is this is the treasure that you got to feed like a certain number of coral. It's like a very specific number. It's like hungry, hungry, hungry. It's like a treasure chest, and oh, yeah. in order to get past it, you have to keep like going through the cave, gathering <laughs> yeah, coral. Yeah. And if you don't get enough, you got to like start over again. <laughs> so you feed it like coral, and then the treasure will move out of the way. That's funny. Um, let's see, munch, munch, munch. That was great. Give me some more. I'm not happy unless I eat, uh, unless I have plenty. I think it's like exactly 23 coral you're supposed to give it or something. I don't know how you find that out on your own, <laughs> but anyway. Uh, okay, so you give them enough. You want to pass through here, right? Uh, that's Hydon, and then I did, and, and you fight it. I did it. I finally actually beat Hydon. I have to go tell uh, Gung Ho he is vet. So he, I guess he didn't assume he was dead if he feels like he has to go tell him. He's just told him to rest. Okay, back he was just resting. Um, okay, so gung-ho. What's all the hullabaloo? Listen to me. I defeated Hydon. You what? You beat Hydon? You're lying. Lying. No, he's not, says Realm. He really defeated him. And uh, ho-ho-ho, if I didn't know better, I'd say Hydon wasn't my only enemy. And then he's like, ho-ho-ho, by the way, how are your wounds healing, gung-ho? 
Eight? Uh, oh, no. they're fine. <laughs> <laughs> so funny. I love it, dude. That's so good. They're fine. He's telling the story, right? So there I was in a cave that seemed endless. Then before I knew it, hit on appeared. Oh, yay. Mm. So funny. And he's just talking about how he fought, how he fought it off and all that stuff. And I wanted to show my enemy the true meaning of the word hero. And then, right, he's just kind of going on and on and on. And Gung Ho is just humoring him. Like, mm-hmm. it's, it's fun. It's, it's, it's a good time. Um, then Realm and Gung Ho kind of get to talk kind of on their own a little bit later. Yep. And Rome's saying, what happened to Grandpa? And Gung-Ho's like, oh, he finally fell asleep. And then uh, Gung-Ho's saying, ah, let's just let him be. This is fine. Now, about my wounds, and Realm was like, wait, first let me thank you. You gave him a reason to go and defeat something that had tormented him for decades. Even if you were faking it, <laughs> the creature meant business. Mm. And Gung-Ho's like, whoa, oh, you knew I was acting? How did you, how did you know? <laughs> and Rome's like, you suck at acting. <laughs> You said only Strago would have been taken in by that performance, which is so good. Yeah, it's good. Oh, Realm is so, she's so funny. I love it. Yep. But yeah, he he basically is trying to push Strago. He gave him a little nudge out the door by Mm. pretending to die. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) And that got Strago to, to, you know, confront the the big obstacle in his past, right? That's uh, been so difficult for him. And Realm knew the whole time, but she played along with it right away. So she's really clever. Yeah. I thought that was great. Yep. And that's pretty much it for that. Um, we got a funny comment here from Pax and Chris, though. Uh, were they yeah. drinking cider? <laughs> <laughs> it must have just too much cider, too you much know? Too much cider. <laughs> Somebody mentioned that in a lot of other countries outside of America, cider is alcoholic. That's true. If, ah, I didn't know that. It's true. Anyway, um, that's it for covering these sections we meant to yes. cover or didn't cover last time. Uh, now we will cut to enjoy the rest the fine the finale of the game this is our final episode of Final Fantasy 6 and we're going to talk about Kefka's Tower and the end of the game yeah uh, it is it is time so you finally split your party into three units yep three units of four and they all have to work together this is probably my favorite this final was cool. dungeon this was pretty cool of the FF series because yeah. of this fact because like it's about sort of working together in three separate groups to yeah. open the path forward and and each one has to go down a different way there were a few times where we had to be in two separate groups or something like yes. that but three three groups for the single dungeon that was pretty cool the, um it's almost a reinstantiation of a a um a <laughs> popular populist version of the warring triad where yes. it's like the, pe- the people <laughs> the people three. and you know we we go fight the statues as the people of earth you know yeah it's very interesting it's good stuff um really kind of fun uh dungeon um but there's not like necessarily a ton to talk about, except for the fact that you do fight the three god statues yes. as sub-bosses yep. before you reach Kefka at the end. Um, and yeah. there's a lot of dialogue there we'll go over, but uh, yeah. you took some notes. On I took some, some notes on the, the statues. So the first one is named Doom, right? And the word is, I think it's Majin in the Japanese, which can be translated a bunch of different ways. Um, but then Ted Woolsey chose Doom. I think it's a different name. Fiend. I think it's Fiend in, oh, in the English. advanced or in some of the other translations. They use the word Fiend instead of Doom. It, it technically means something along the lines of a god. Um, but they're trying to like separate them out. Um, then you have the Guardian and Demon. Uh, this is really good because these three parts of the statue do have some resemblance to the final boss when we fight Kefka. Right, there's three stages. That there's before, kind of, yeah. yeah, that's like they're kind of all mashed together in some unholy union that looks, you know, pretty gross. <laughs> but you've got Doom, the Guardian and Demon, and then you have the Goddess. Mm-hmm. The word for Goddess is Megami. 
which is, anyways, really good. Yeah. <laughs> Tetsuya Nomura made the artwork for the Warring Triad, right? He named the goddess Sophia. Uh, Megami does mean goddess. Goddess, the goddess has only one wing. Yep. What's up with Tetsuya Nomura? Yep. And, and one wing, yep. <laughs> and he, Tetsuya he has a, Takahashi he has a as well. For one wing. Yeah, the one winged motif just comes up all over the place. So you've got this goddess that only has one wing. The idea behind the one wing is that you, well, at least for Tetsuya Takahashi, it was that you can't fly alone. You right. need a pair to fly. Yes. Beautiful. I don't know Tetsuya Nomura's reasoning it behind the one cool. wing. It looks cool. It just looks cool. Okay. <laughs> Remember, because and we did well, a, we did a podcast on Kafka has like a, six wings. Yeah. <laughs> We did a podcast on FF10, and we it did, was yes. around that time when he, he said something. I can't remember the direct quote, but something along the line of this time, I, I was very intentional with all the designs, right? Yes. Thematically intentional. Yes. And he may not have necessarily been that way prior to prior. FF10 designs. That makes sense. Other than just sense. making them look you know, dope or whatever. Yeah, which this does look cool. The goddess statue <laughs> looks really cool. But it's good because you've got the, you've got the, the woman on top that is the, the beautiful form of the goddess. And then underneath you have like the demon. And this is what I was mentioning before with Rome's painting. Um, you know, when we had to fight, uh, what was that thing called? I can't remember the name. Um, Char- Chadarnuk. Chadarnuk. Um, but you have this like demon that lurks underneath the goddess, right? So the goddess does whatever it does. And it's like, oh, the goddess, you know, the beautiful, you know, what, what you see above, but beneath the goddess is this like horned demon creature that you end up having to fight as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so apparently this is funny. You bring up Final Fantasy X. Um, Unaleska's artwork from Final Fantasy X was based on this goddess Oh, really? Artwork in Final Fantasy VI here, oh, wow. yeah. So, and you can see that Unaleska kind of has those ribbons that just kind of mm. like wrap around her body is mm. that's like, that's her clothes. Um, I'm yeah, pretty sure stuff. the Japanese design for this uh, boss was less clothed even than this one. <laughs> yes, you're right, you're yeah, right. So Yeah, I currently was, have was, the uh, American version was, up. <laughs> it's slightly censored <laughs> for the American or the North American version. Yeah, or, or the, absolutely true. The version outside of Japan. But she's got like the golden solar disc kind of that's like behind her head, right? Signifying, you know, the holiness and all of that stuff. And then there's like roots going down underneath at the bottom of the demon, right? You're seeing that that's kind of like the underworld aspect here. Mm-hmm. Um, even the concept. And then in her left hand, she's holding the sphere, this like uh, golden sphere. Um, but you do see this kind of similar concept with uh, Unaleska as well. So really cool. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So that leads us to... The final confrontation with Kefka, I think. Yep, yep, right? this is here. This is where we're okay, at. Okay, so here we've got the dialogue here. Edgar says, it's time we took the battle to Kefka's doorstep. Setzer says, what's wrong? Oh, I think this is all on the airship before they jump down. Uh, Celeste says something here. The gods of the warring triad control the magic of the Esper world. If we destroy them, this is key for yes. what comes up here in a little bit. If we destroy them, because the magic of the espers is in the warring triad, Edgar mm-hmm. says, you're worried about what might happen. She says, I'm not sure, but espers and magic might vanish from the world entirely. Yes. Edgar says, and if that happens, what'll happen to Terra? So they're worried about if they kill Kefka, what's going to happen to the espers and what's going to happen to Terra specifically. Yes. So they know they got to kill them, but they don't know what's going to happen to them if they do. Uh, okay. So now you get to Kefka himself at the top of the tower. This is a really good exchange. Um, yeah. Really, really well written, I feel. Kefka says, welcome, friends. I knew you'd come. So I've been practicing my greeting. 
how much do you have to destroy before you'll have had your fill, Kafka? He says, I've acquired the ultimate power. Observe. And then they, I think they cut to that shot where it's just like the beamed. Yeah, that's crazy. And that's point. like the light of judgment. Um, <clears throat> yeah. But it's like way more harsh than we've seen it before. Yeah. In fact, once again, this reminds me a little bit of Final Fantasy X. Yep. <laughs> but you've got this beam that just like whoo, destroys Freaking, the world. It's a really great shot. Really cool. Um, uh, such magnificent power. You're all nothing more than fleas compared to me now. Yep. Embrace your destruction. It is the fate of all things. And the party says, to be destroyed? Maybe it is, but people can always rebuild and new lives will always be born. And he says, and time will destroy all of those things as well. Why do people insist on creating things that will inevitably be destroyed? Why do people cling to life knowing that they must someday die, knowing that none of it will have meant anything once they do? And Tara says, because it's not the end that matters. It's knowing that you have something to live for right now at this moment, something you've worked for, something that's worth protecting. As long as you have that, that's enough. And he says, and it did, uh, and did you all find your somethings in this broken world that just won't die? Yes. Mm. <laughs> Love, says uh, Tara. Locked they as all a, have something. A person worth protecting. Cyan, a, life and, a wife and child who love on within me, or who live on with, they copied it wrong, live on within me. Shadow says, friends and family. Edgar, a peaceful kingdom. Sabin, a loving brother who always looks out for me. Remember earlier when uh, he teases Tara? Well, I, well, I think oh. this was only in the Woolsey translation, but don't you dare tell him I said that. Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah so yeah. now he says it out loud. Celeste, someone willing to accept me for who I am. Strago, an adorable little granddaughter. Realm, an obnoxious grandpa who I couldn't live without. Setzer, wings from a dear old friend. Mog, new pals, Kupo. <laughs> Kefka says, blah, you people make me sick. You sound like lines from a self-help book. <laughs> that's funny. Yeah. So that's not what the Japanese says at all. Yeah, let's see I what... think it's a fun line, though. Yeah. Well, I can't. I oh, can't. you don't have I don't it. have Hold any up. internets. Uh, um, and I, I've clicked up. this. It's, it's, it's gone. Now. It's out. Okay. But it is something along the lines of, you guys make me sick, right? Yeah. Right. It was something like that. I thought the self-help book line was pretty good, though. It's funny. At least in part because what the characters are saying to us is... They sound like a platitudes. little bit cheesy. It's yeah. just like platitudes. Yeah, it's just kind of like, like ooh, I found yeah. I found love. I found this or that. And he's just <laughs> like, you guys, this is this is like yeah. stupid. Like you're yeah. it's almost like they didn't even really get his point. Right. That yeah. um it, and they kind of did it. <laughs> no, because he's saying, Yeah, my point is all those things you just said are all going away one day. Yeah, right. And they're like, Yeah, well, you know, they're not gone right now. So it's like, yeah. okay, fine, whatever. It's just a clash so, of philosophy. They're just they're, not, they're talking past each other. They're they're choosing not to go to the point he's talking about, right? <laughs> so it's like, hmm. someday these things are going to go away and you'll lose them. But we have them right now, but that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying someday <laughs> they're going to go away. And they're just like, they aren't they're just sort of running other. away from the point he's oh, making. Oh gosh. Right? What is that last game that we talked about where he mentioned, um, oh, it, it, maybe it was this game. No, maybe it was this game. Playing Mozart to a frog. Yes. Yes. Yeah, uh, that wasn't this. What was that? What game was that? Does anyone but, remember what that line came from? Yeah, that line. I remember that, but I can't remember where it was. Where it was, uh, if, I, if I explain this to you, it would be the same as playing Mozart to a, to a frog. Like, it just doesn't matter. Someone there is one line here I want to read up here from a mix that he just wrote up top. <coughs> so, 
He says, Kefka's nihilistic philosophy leans into the concept of mono no aware, which is an aspect of Japanese thought. Japanese cultural scholar um, Kazumitsu Kato wrote that understanding mono no aware in the Heian period was almost a necessity for a learned man in aristocratic society. Um, it is a near Buddhistic insistence upon recognition of the eternal flux of life upon the earth. This is the authentic Japanese attitude towards death and disaster, that everything's changing. So it's just Kefka's view on it. You, and, and so basically Kefka's view on that flux of everything mm. is negative. And he's saying, yeah, everything flux, therefore everything sucks. <laughs> Mm. Ooh, that should be a bumper sticker. Everything <laughs> flux, so everything sucks. But then Tara's like, no, everything's always in flux, therefore everything's beautiful and new and, you know, great. Mm. And right. They're both saying the same thing. They just don't get what they're they're not allowing the other one to um colonize their thought process. Yeah, that's an interesting point. Um because, you know, I, I think when people discuss Kefka's nihilism, right? I think I think nihilism generally is sort of seen in this really kind of negative way, like it's this uh, sort of dark, almost like philosophy or ideology. What's the word uh, nihil? Like a means, cynical, means nothing. A cynical ideology, and and, and a, where it's this miserable interpretation that life has no meaning and all these things. And it, I, I actually think it's it's not that. It's it's a, a really neutral thing. It's life has no meaning, therefore. Uh, or no, I shouldn't say no meaning, no intrinsic value. There's no like objective sort of like moral values, right? Like we create all of this, right? Mm. But uh, what Kafka is doing is leaping really far logically to to do the life has no meaning. Therefore, I should destroy the world. I think like, that's where that part of it is not nihilistic. That's just yeah. uh, him using nihilism as a justification sure. for his sociopathy yeah right <laughs> and, Not, and his and his desire to harm other people <clears throat> his cruelty which is which is something he has developed and he is blaming or, yeah. or, or justifying with this nihilistic perspective on life that makes sense but and he's saying what's the difference if everything is nothing or if in a billion years and nothing will exist then what's the point in me just making that happen now? Like, what's yeah. the difference? Um, uh, so nihilism in general, if you are like in the moment, fine. If you're thinking about the future, nihilism, that's where it kind of can present some problems. <laughs> and that's what Kefka's doing. He's visualizing it in the future. And he's like, oh, nothing. He's projecting it forwards. And he's saying, well, we'll just bring that a little closer. We're going to take that nothing that is the heat death of the universe, whatever it is. And we're just going to make it right now. In fact, I think he's got a line here, at least in the SNES. I'd be interested to hear what the GBA says. Mm. He says, I will create a monument to nothingness. Yeah. Right. Uh, I don't know if they changed that line. Well, I'll get to it in a second. Okay. I, I just wanted to, I guess, respond to that and say that because, because you said it's looking to the future that you have problems. It's only, I think so. Problems based on how you interpret Nothing. Nothing. <laughs> if you interpret it as negative, which nihilism does not point. claim. You're right. Nihilism does not it's claim neutral. that it's bad. Yeah, it's neutral. Because there is nothing, there is no meaning in it at all. Right. So it is neither good nor bad. You cannot justify it either way. But Kafka is 
trying to justify his <laughs> you're right, cruel you're right. sociopathic tendencies yes. on the fact that there is no meaning in this. That's that, true. That, that, that's therefore, I see your point. You're right. And, and that's, right. that's where yeah, Kafka right. is, is actually uh, abandoning a truer nihilistic view. Right. Because if he were truly nihilistic, he, he would see nothing wrong he with the fact that yeah. everything gets destroyed someday. Anyway. Right. Right. And that's more of the Buddhist philosophy, which is like the, it could be good or bad. It's the neutral. Idea. Right. Whereas with Kafka, it's like, yeah, yeah, that's true. So, um, anyways, but, but it is interesting to think of how he got there because he is a victim in all of this. However, unjustified his acts may or may not have been depending on if you're a nihilist or if you're if you have a moral point of view and i think most people do they have a moral oh, set of principles don't think you and can would, live without would, one could condemn kefka for what he's done obviously so when sure. i say that you know just keep that in mind i understand <laughs> that. but uh he was a victim of the yeah. Experiments that yes. happened to him, right? Yes, yes. So he he developed resentment from this. It did something to him psychologically. Mm -hmm. Like obviously his mind broke in the process. That's what that who, soldier says, yeah. Who knows what he was like before these experiments started? There is a rumor on the internet that Clyde Baram, that Baram is Kefka. Kefka? <laughs> I, I don't, I don't buy it. I don't think I it's don't true. Either. But the idea was that Baram got injured and then, um, Clyde run, Clyde books it. And then these people find him and then, you know, resuscitate him and then bring him back to life as this new being through Sid's lab, basically. And then it becomes Kefka. Yeah, I don't Anyways, like that. <laughs> I doubt it's true. I'm just bringing it up that there's like, some people are, some people speculate as to Kefka's former life that he may have been something like a normal dude or something like that up until the point he received uh, Sid's uh, treatment in his factory. Mm. By the way, someone has just brought up, it was Bioshock that that line came from. Oh, Bioshock. It would be like trying oh, to that's right. play Mozart for I forgot yeah, about Bioshock. that line. That's was, right. That came from Bioshock. It was the game we just did before this one. Play Mozart <laughs> to a tree frog, right? Right. Yeah. So, so that's where, that's where that, that line came from. Such Amazing. a good line. Now, um, you know, we don't really know. There's not really even a point in speculating uh, whether or not he was already kind of a messed up guy and the and the, the yeah. psychological, you know, damage it did only like heightened his yeah. already existing sociopathy. I think people or, want to think that he was always evil to begin with. That yeah. way it justifies us just like sure. killing, doing, doing whatever we need to do, being like, <laughs> oh, he was never redeemable to begin with. Yeah. But the more likely scenario is that he was like... A normal dude. Normal person. And, yeah. and this had such a terrible effect <laughs> on him that, you know, it, it really yeah. anyway, turned him into this. Yeah. Either way, he was a victim of this experimentation. It made him bitter and resentful yes. and, and vengeful. Vengeful. So that vengeance was then justified through this idea that, well, it's all meaningless anyways. So mm, even if sure. I do this, it's not wrong. Yeah. It, it's justifying these cruel desires yeah. inside of him that, you know, like, well, like, how do you deal with that? How do you then go like, well, I'm going to do this. So then how do I therefore, <clears throat> you know, go about justifying that? Yeah, yeah. Nihilism was his scapegoat. That was it. So it's like a <clears throat> risk on the cov in uh, crime and punishment. Sure. Yeah. Okay. So Kefiko goes on to say here, I wield the greatest power in existence. You may as well be the dirt on the bottom of my boots or the dirt stuck to the bottom of that dirt. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. You can't destroy everything. They say people will always have dreams. 
Well, there's something to that. Hold on, the dirt on the bottom of that dirt. Yeah, that's that's so good. Um, <laughs> there's this is this is the Bible once again. But the idea of um, you are you are less than dirt, right? Yeah, you aren't dirt. You are the thing that goes underneath the dirt. Yeah. I actually think this is um. I think God says this about humans at some point. He's like, you know, dirt does what it does, but you guys are even lower than dirt, you know. Um, anyways, I think that's really funny. Kefka's basically using uh, that type of verbiage because right. he thinks he's God now. He has elevated himself yeah. to the yeah. top position. Well, and, and it's important to state he, he basically is because he, he, he took the yes. power from the gods yes. of this world. all three of them. So <laughs> yeah. he is, and he, he's setting himself up as like the fourth statue of the warring triad the one that is the greatest right so the three were in balance but then there was the fourth right this is a thing i brought up the triangles i'm going to say it now because this is the best way to visualize what i think is happening here and i'm going to have to bring this up again later because uh, with the boss fight we're seeing the number four creep in above the three as like this hidden like extra like super powerful version right Mm -hmm. think of it as the triforce right You've got the triangle, you've got each three triangles within the triangles. So three triangles making up a unity of a single triangle. But if you can visualize the Triforce in your mind, and we'll put one up on the screen here, there's a, an upside down triangle implicit in the oh. space yeah. where there's a fourth triangle. There, mm-hmm. the, the Triforce is not three triangles, it's four. Yeah. But we only see three because we're looking for the upright, you know, the ones yeah. that the microcosm of the macrocosm, right? It's a big triangle and then it's made up of these little triangles. But there is an implicit fourth triangle that actually subverts the other three and it's pointing downwards. It's Mm. the shadow triangle. This would be like um, the shadow of the gods, the shadow of Link or whatever it is, right? There's an extra one there. There's space for one, but it's currently not being fulfilled. Um, What Kafka is doing is he's becoming that shadow triangle of the Triforce, basically. Like he's putting himself into the gods, he's usurping their power, and he's making it all about him, and he's inverting it in the Mm. process, making it point a different direction. And and you see this is so good, because when we go to fight Kafka, he has all three gods below him, right? And they're all like lined up in this like amalgamation of, of, of unholy death. <laughs> and then he is above them as the fourth, right? The most powerful of them all. And um, this harkens back to some um, Jewish writings in the Kabbalah. This is where I brought this up to you on the drive yeah, over here. Right. I'm like, I don't know that this is totally where it's going, but I think it's worth bringing <laughs> up because it's really good. Um, there's these different levels of analysis within the Kabbalah. You have like, you have like the lowest level and then you have like the, the highest level, mm-hmm. right? And the lowest level is like the bodied analysis, like the physical. And then the highest level is like wisdom or the ineffable, right? The stuff that can't even be said because it's, it's just, but people can kind of grasp it, right? It's like the wisdom and the highest way to know things. Um, and there's those four levels. They correspond with earth, water, air, and then fire. Fire is that top level. That's like the the weird ethereal, like fourth element that doesn't really fit with the other three. Mm-hmm. You've got earth, air, fire, or earth, air, and water. And they all kind of like coexist in this like natural way. But then fire shows up and it's like, it, you can see the ancients talking about this too. It's like, what is fire, man? Like, this is weird. It's basically just destructive. It's something only humans can really make, right? And that's where the myth of Prometheus comes from. But like, what is this? It's this new thing that somehow actually has power over all the others, Mm. right? Like if there's air and fire, fire wins. If there's rock and fire, well, fire can eventually melt stone and that's where you get lava or whatever. And then of course, fire evaporates water. Like fire is this like 
this element of the gods that, that presides over the other three elements, right? It's that hidden, like implicit upside, upside down triangle within the Triforce um, that kind of like can make or break the unity of, of the tri-unity that's happening there. Mm. Um, I see that here, and it's so good that Kefka, he just places himself up top up top of the other three, because there's four stages to that boss fight. He's the implicit fourth, but because he can't live in harmony with the other three, he usurps all their power. He lets them all be killed before him. He won't work with them. He's just trying to extract, extract, extract. Um, it ends up failing, right? Because yeah. it all goes into him. He becomes the monad, so to speak. He's yeah. the one, but it's supposed to exist as something of a triad or a quaternad or whatever, <laughs> but, but with the implicit fourth. But he's dest- he destroyed the other three in, in favor of just himself. And that ends up essentially being his downfall, right? Yeah. Anyways, that's a bit of a rant. But, <laughs> um, I feel like that's a deeper way to kind of read what exactly is happening here uh, with Kefka and knowing that people like Nomura or Takahashi or Soria Saga or some of the people who I know were deeply into this stuff had mm. a lot to do with the art and the story of this sure, game. Yeah. Um, I, I don't think it's out of bounds for me to kind of bring up the, the Kabbalah. No, and, and there's actually quite a few interesting readings of the design of this boss uh, yeah. that, that we can go over here. I like that one a lot. That one's really cool because it brings in the whole triad sort of motif. Exactly, exactly. Right? Um, so here, let's get into it after I get through the rest of the dialogue. So Kafka says, life, dreams, hope, where do they come from and where do they go? Such meaningless things. I'll destroy them all. The end draws near. So then you oh, fight, and the that's guy. when the sun sets. By the way, yeah, it's you're so right. good because you look behind him, and everything's orange, and it's like this really cool glow. And then um, the sun sets, and it disappears, and then the, the background turns bluish, mm-hmm. and that's when he starts using his uh, <coughs> what the light of judgment and starts like yeah. breaking the world and stuff. And <laughs> right. it's like that's when the sun goes down. That's when hope disappears, basically. Yeah. Um, and I'll we'll have one last uh, motif on that whole uh, evening star thing here um, after the fight. Yeah. Okay, so. Oh, also, it's twilight. The sun just set. This this is so good. I love this. It's not just twilight. It, this is like the eternal twilight. This is the make or break moment, right? Mm. So I, put, I wrote down here, this is the twilight of the gods. It is literally the twilight of the gods because they're all about to wane in power and they're all about to die. Like mm. it's all going to be over. The gods are about to leave this world. Um, but it's also twilight for humanity. Like this is the make or break moment, right? And so anyways, I love how the, the weather, once again, the weather or the, the celestial patternings of the lights, uh, are kind of reflecting what's happening here, um, on the ground level. Yeah. Okay. So going over the symbolism of this final boss, cause it's a crazy design. I mean, I've got it pulled up here. You know, you got this first level, which is this giant, uh, demonic, you know, buff looking, well, Kefka is sort of represented in each part of this. So it, it's kind of Kefka's oh, face. Oh, they have his, yeah, his face, yeah. yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, they have these, uh, like, vents of steam everywhere, these sort of, like, mechanical tubes coming out of his back. That's right, that's right. Um, oh, that's moves creepy. upward, and then you got a second phase here with a lion head, kind of made of that mechanical, you know, looking material. And then you've got <coughs> what appears again to be Kefka sitting in the front. Ah, yeah. And then some other people, um, almost like Renaissance-like paintings of bodies just kind of in these contorted 
you know, yeah, positions. Screwy positions. Um, and then it, you it know continues what's really upward. Good? That middle one there, the fact that Kefka is, his skin is blue. Yes. Right? Yes. This is something, I see this a lot. This is something you see in Hindu um, depictions of gods like uh, Krishna. Yeah. Or, um, you know, a lot of the Hindu gods you will see depicted as having blue skin. Mm-hmm. Right. My daughter actually had a killer <clears throat> like um, explanation for why their skin is blue. Cause I looked at her, I, I was asking her, we were at the Hindu temple near our house and she was just looking around at all the artwork. And um, there was this really cool scene of these, these beings that were over this body whose spirit was being, I think I brought this up in Silent Hill too, whose spirit was being like pulled out and uh, the beings, the angelic beings were all blue. Whereas the mm-hmm. demonic beings, and they were both vying for the spirit of this newly deceased individual. Oh, right. And the demons were coming up, trying to pull the spirit down. And then the angels were there with their weapons and they were in gold and blue skin, just like you see with Kefka here. Oh, yes. um, and I asked her, I said, why do you think their skin is blue? And she thought for a little bit and she looks outside and she goes, because blue's the color of the sky. Mm. And I thought about that and I was like, wait a <laughs> second. Cause the, the angelic beings, the celestial beings sure. that come from above, mm. blue. Because yep, I'm always like, oh, white. In the Western tradition, it's always white. And I'm like, wait a second. The sky is freaking blue. <laughs> like, of course that makes sense. Anyways, really good observation by my by my genius daughter. <laughs> Just had to tap that a little bit here. That's great. So you keep moving up and then you get the third level, which is um, you have like the lady here, um, almost a motif of the goddess that you talked about earlier yes looks like and the goddess sort of a kefka-esque figure sort of lying back in the lap of this yes so do you have yeah i'm gonna okay, go over good, each good. stage but i'm good. just kind of showing it off first so we know like we each one looks like so and it gets lighter and lighter the further up you mm, go. you're going yeah. up into the sky here you're yeah. still below the clouds and it's yes. it's not until you ascend above the clouds <laughs> that you yeah. reach kefka himself in his god and the fire and the sun form. and the, the beams and yeah, oh, right. it's so good so now that we have that that everyone has seen that yeah. image in detail um the official player's guide of mm-hmm. this game, which is not canonical, it was written by people oh. from probably, I don't know, maybe Square, but, but maybe Nintendo of America even, or somebody in, somebody Sometimes they hire, like what, what was it, like that, um, that Hyrule Historia? That they hired yeah, like a third-party company yeah. to write it, basically, and right. it's like not actually canonical. Yeah, right. Like there's, there's still parts <laughs> of it that, you know, that they're speculating on or... So yeah. in the player's guide, the official Final Fantasy VI player's guide, it states that this is a rematch with the three gods. It's, so that seems each to be one is a representation so of Doom, each stage. The guardian and guardian, the goddess. And then the goddess. So that w- is kind of the way they explained it there. And, you know, that seems to be fairly logical sort of, you know, reading of it. But yeah. there's some others that are interesting too. A, a popular theory online is that this is kind of like a... Um, a representation of Dante's Divine Comedy. Yes. Um, yes, I've heard that. So yeah. very the cool. very first stage you have, and this is the most obvious visually to, to make a connection to, to make it, that connection is the first because yeah. Satan in, in uh, Dante's Inferno yeah. um, is trapped from like the waist. He's yeah. like encased in ice, right? Yeah. And it's just like his upper torso and his arms and yeah. wings are above. And he, ha- um, he has three heads at least. Yeah, the, his three faces. Because so, two of his mouths are chewing on the people who killed Julius Caesar. Yes. And then the middle <laughs> mouth is chewing on Judas Iscariot. Yeah, right. So that they can be punished forever. Forever. Oh, uh-huh. that's crazy. Yeah, you can see I have a, a, oh, you a picture here. Yeah, yeah. He, see. You see the feet of Judas oh, in his mouth. Crazy. Um, so, you know, the, obviously not every piece of this was just copied over, 
But the idea being it, it might have served as an inspiration for this design because it's mm. at the waist again, right? You have this kind of yeah. mist or steam around the waist. Could you kind of ice. move up to a second phase here where you have a bunch of people that seem distressed, kind of like I said in that- Pur Purgatory, um, right? Yeah, purgatory. Yeah. Kind of in that Renaissance- you know, sort of painting-esque way of how they depicted people in misery and their they, their bodies yeah, in these contorted, contorted forms. Yeah. It, it kind of gives that feel, right, of like a purgatory. <laughs> and then you totally. come up here, and this, um, I think it has actually been stated. Let me grab uh, the, 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 oh, I don't have the internet. <laughs> um, crap, oh. I'm, I guess I can't bring that up. Well, hold on, hold on. I um, read it. I my, made... Michelangelo's... Uh, Pieta. Pieta. The Pieta. Yeah, the Pieta. Yeah, I wrote this down. Yeah. Up top, we have an image that is based on Michelangelo's Pieta, a sculpture of Jesus lying in Mary's lap after the crucifixion. Right. And so if you're using that as, uh, I guess, a representation of going from purgatory upwards toward, you know, heaven after that, yeah. you'd have all three stages of... Uh, Dante's Divine Comedy, the, the, the three-act, you know, story there. And then yeah. Kefka would be the fourth stage. So I, I think that's... The hidden fourth. Yeah, kind of an interesting interpretation. I, 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 I wouldn't say um, that... It seems right enough to me. Yeah, it, it seems like maybe elements of Dante's Divine Comedy served as an aesthetic, visual yes. inspiration. But yeah. I don't think that these things are meant to represent... I don't think so either. <laughs> Hell, purgatory, and heaven. No, because it, that, you're that's still a, fighting thematically. The that like makes no her. sense. <laughs> yeah, yeah. In in Final Fantasy VI's story. No, but it's but just visual. certainly yeah. they could have served as visual inspirations. I, I, I could I see that for sure. Yeah. Now, the way that I read this was more about Kefka's ascension through the game. Oh, cool. So, sure. oh, interesting. We start hey. at Kefka's bitterness and resentment. Yeah. His anger he, uh, at, at being a victim of whatever happened to him and, and being uh. discarded or, or tr uh, constantly treated as a court jester, as, as a joke, right, as yeah. somebody not to be taken seriously. And the emperor kind of did that. Yeah, and which we yeah. did too when right. we fought him because he was not a difficult boss most of the time. Right. And he, he seemed give him his like a joke character. And nobody really gives him any um, of the praise, I guess I'll put it, that he thinks he deserves. So we move on to the second phase here, and this is definitely him, in my opinion, in the front. That's Kefka. And he's he's sort of, um, he's contending with his peers here, with the others, uh, whether it's in the Empire uh. or against the Returners. They're all struggling for supremacy. Yeah. Um, whether it's Emperor Gestal, whether it's the Returners, they're, they're all working towards that power that he's ultimately going for in the goddess statues, the god statues, right? The three, mm -hmm. the triad, the warring triad. triad. They're all fighting over that power, whether it's to leave it as is and keep the world in balance, whether it's to take that power to create order. It's like a tension. Yeah. yeah. Um, they're all contending over that, and he's a part of that, and they're all fighting for that thing and contending with each other. But ultimately, he's the one who receives the boom, the yeah. boom from the gods. He's the one that gets the power. Um, and and uh, this enemy in English, the the because it's each part of the boss has different targets. Yeah. So like at the bottom, you can target the face or both hands. Right. And then up here, there's the tiger's face, and there's other multiple sort of you know targets of fighting that part of the boss. Then you get up to the top, and you have. Both of these, the one in the back, the the woman figure is called Lady in English. Lady, but it's yeah. Maria 
That's in right. Japanese. That's right, which is Mary. Yeah. Which is Mary, yeah. right? So that's most certainly meant to be For inspired sure. by There's Michelangelo's Pieta, yeah. right? But yeah. the idea is, is that Kefka sees himself as having received the boon, having received the powers, having I received so. the, the blessing yeah. in terms of the power passage, the passage of power to him mm. from the gods. And then he ascended Ascends, through the clouds exactly, yes. up to become the God. That was the way yeah. I sort of read That's what really this cool. represents. I like that. It, I love it's that more reading. like Kefka's story yeah. in, is, is represented here in this boss, his story <sighs> through the game. That's so cool. Um, or the way he views himself, I guess, right? Yeah, the way yeah. he views his own his hero's transcendent journey, journey yeah, or whatever yeah. you want to call it. Um, and now he's, he's become the God, he's indestructible, he's whatever. Um, of course he's not, and we defeat him, but, um, that was kind of the, the reading that I pulled from it. So I, I think there's, and I really liked your interpretation too, the whole inverted triangle, because mm. the warring triad and just the, 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 the shape itself, it really has a lot more meaning to me after, yeah. you know, some of the stuff that you said when we went over that part. Oh, right. The Pythagoreans. Stuff. Yeah. All that stuff. It's like, yeah, mm. that, 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 it's just like the shape itself, the balance contained within the geometry is right. important. Not yeah. just, it's not just, they don't just call it the warring trad because it's cool sounding it's like, <laughs> yeah yeah there's actual you know there's there's meaning found in the balance of the three and you know points. what's great how does kefka survive that moment where right before the destruction of the world when the emperor or celeste is trying to kill him yeah he goes into the middle of the warring tribe yeah, right he stands in the middle, in the middle of it. he fills that upside down triangle of the Triforce, he takes his rightful place in the middle yeah. of the three and gains immortality because of it. Nobody mm -hmm. can hurt him. All their magic is deflected yeah. and he's able to command the power from the middle. He becomes the unofficial fourth, uh, warring, fourth. Yeah. So it's a warring quaternad at that quaternad, point, but yeah. he's the only one that can still move and think and, and talk and all of that. Yeah. But yeah, he, he takes that. So that space was always there. It was just empty. Mm -hmm. He moved to fill that space. Right. So that's great. Yeah. Good stuff. Um, if I were ever to get a tattoo, which probably won't happen, <laughs> but if I were ever to get one, <laughs> Is it gonna be this? <laughs> it, there's, there's, there's two tattoos I would ever consider getting. One would be a sleeve oh, with this. There you so go. So a sleeve all oh. the way up the arm. Yeah. Would be this, uh, boss. Cause it's, it's really that cool. It is very visually cool. and just art, you know, from the art standpoint, but what it represents too, like all the different things that you could talk to people about when they That's say, Hey, true. what's the conversation started? It, it's a great stuff. Yeah. But the other one would be, um, uh, what's the name of the tattoo on Sydney's back in it? The, the oh, root inverse, the root inverse, the root That's inverse right. on the back. That's the only other one I've ever considered. That one would be cool because you, then you could hide it pretty much underneath anything. That's true. You go into That's interviews, true. you don't have to like. Yeah, worry yeah. about your sleeve. Wear long sleeves in 120 <laughs> degree weather. Why are you wearing long sleeve shirt? Right. Uh, you know, but root inverse, like you to. could you could hide it's really true. easily. But um, those are the only two I would ever get, and I'm not going to. <laughs> but if I ever get tattooed, those were the two things I would get. This would be one of them. Dude, for me, I always wanted an armband of the, the one ring, the one ring, yeah. the Ajnaj Gimbatuk. <laughs> yeah, the in that'd Elvish, be cool too. all the way around the arm. That'd be cool. That'd be dope too. That'd be so cool. Okay, we're gonna do it. So. Uh, let's see. Kefka has been defeated and the tower begins collapsing. Party. The tower's collapsing. There's no time to lose. Yeah. Come on. The airship's just ahead. They all start taking off. Come on, everybody. We can make it if we work together. Um, now, they kind of did a, an interesting thing here. Let me get through the rest of this. Oh, how they do the cutscenes <clears throat> and all that. Yeah. So yeah. the magicite magic is disappearing. 
If espers are fading from the world now, what'll happen to Terra, right? Which we talked about yeah. earlier. Come with me. I can use the last of my power to guide you out. And then she, she morphs and starts to fly out. Now, it kind of starts the ending credit sequence here with the... Yeah, that was so interesting. Yeah. Before you really have resolved this yet. So yes, it, it's kind but of... But it's not really credits. It's just no. Gao as Gao. <laughs> <laughs> no, Umaro that, I don't as get Umaro. That. I don't get it. Why did they and do that? <laughs> you as your freaking self. Yeah, that I mean, was so funny. Th there is at least one really cool thing, as weird as this is. Well, you get the middle names of Edgar yes, and Sabin, Edgar, which, which are Roni and Renee, yeah. which were then reused in Xenogears. Yes. Which well, it's awesome. only cool because of Xenogears. Yes. It didn't come for four more years after <laughs> Xenogears this wasn't out yet. It <laughs> wasn't a thing. Yeah. But that it's interesting looking at the history of these de developers, which we've been looking at thoroughly for years on this podcast mm. now. Roni and Renee were characters that she had already thought of before Xenogears ever went into development. Yes, so that's true, yeah. The Years story before, of Xenogears yeah. had been in the minds of Tetsuya Takahashi and, and uh, Kaori Tanaka for Kaori Tanaka. quite a long time. I'm, I'm sure they developed yeah. it for a long time before they actually yeah. made the game. This is evidence of that. And, and you see parts of Roni and Renee's, and we've already talked about this, but parts of Roni and Renee's story in Edgar and Sabin, right? They're kind of similar characters, so... Mm. Um, she sort of took that story from this game and then developed it further into, you know, what, what they had been talking about together and developing. But this, I don't even know how to start talking about the ending of this game because there's so much to say. Uh, yeah. Both really positive, but also some things we talked about being a little bit confused some, about. Some questions. And, and some questions that lead to some, um, uh, it's 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 like a, a feeling like there's not some resonance quite f on on a few points. We're yeah. not really like feeling like oh this worked completely the way we hoped it would. Um, yeah, it did not end the way that you would expect, <laughs> and there are some questions. Yeah, so about we're gonna discuss that. why it happened. <laughs> but real quick, can I? I have stuff. a few things that I yeah, want to let's bring do up that first because we didn't touch on the track "Dancing Mad." <laughs> yes. Oh, that. Well, yes. This is good. Yes. Did you? Did <laughs> you read three movements in the song? Yes. In the <laughs> did you read yes. the? Um, so Mix, um, one of our patrons, he sent an article on. I think it was Destructoid, but it said like. Um, what dancing mad uh, a critical analysis something yeah, like that yeah. mm -hmm. um and well, so mix sent uh, me a few excerpts which are very good um so from that article it says but instead of playing this straight all the religious symbolism is a mockery right so you've got all the religious symbolism but it's all being turned upside down it's all being used improperly right um in kefka's mind there is nothing worthwhile in the world no faith no hope no love and certainly no gods after all look how easily he stole the three goddesses power at the floating content mm. continent uh the gods but goddess you know one of them's a yeah, goddess. sure hey by the way how how did he get so powerful like i re i don't think i will ever understand that i we'll, think it's we'll talk about that the um, the magicite he collected sid the more magicite he collected, the stronger he got. I got that. I know. But like, he's just one-shotting espers and he, like even but before probably, this. Probably because he already had magicite. I think yes. it's like, like the more magicite he collects, the stronger he gets. So he was so dang powerful. He waited until the emperor stabbed him in the back before he revealed that he basically already was a god this whole time. Like for a long time now. <laughs> I anyways, I, I, I have questions. Sure. Um, we'll, we'll keep reading this though. So he's displaying himself as this enlightened being tr to try and hammer home the fact that everything that the heroes are fighting for, everything they hold dear is worthless if he is the most powerful being in the world. The savior that is represented in the Pieta, meaning the goddess, the top of that uh, tri-un or tripartite 
yeah. boss, whatever, the third movement of the boss, um, is supposed to be the paragon of humanity, a physical manifestation of light and truth. By putting himself in that position with the glorious hymn of praise in the background, he's denying the existence of that light at all and saying that the only thing present in human hearts is despair and destruction. Mm. So also that article talks a little bit about the movements and how the movements of the song, because it's a kind of a crazy song, right? Yeah. In fact, you did a remix of the song, I did. right? I yeah, did a, we should play like that, a, actually. a metal sort of, well, it's kind of like a mixture of the, um, well, it's got the organ and stuff in it yeah. too, but it's kind of like a metal remix of the song. It's very cool, by the way. It's very well done. Thank you. Um, but you've got these different movements going throughout it, right? And it represents the different, um, you know, aspects of the boss. Is that what I say? The different aspects sure. of the boss? Yeah, the different stages, stages I guess. Stages, um, tears. And it goes yeah. through some like kind of sad music to this like frantic kind of crazy yeah. music to this like, you know, um, it, it kind of puts it all together. It builds it all up in a way that I think is consistent with what you said about Kefka's character. Yes. Right. And, and the song call, being called Dancing Mad is obviously a reference to him. Right? Yes. Right. And so the song is just going through until at the very end, you get this almost like, um, almost churchy sounding like this religious sounding music that just like seems very triumphant. Yes. Yeah. It's <laughs> and awesome. it's really cool. The <laughs> movements of the song are just really cool. Well, it's it's a um it's a callback to the very beginning of the game, the title screen, that that organ do Yes. Doo, yep. Doo, dun, dun, yep. And dun, dun, right? Dun, dun, and he like descends. So it's it's yes. it's like it's almost book ended by that little right. musical. Right. So that cuz now we're theme. at the ascent. That's a good point. Yeah. That's true. I yeah. didn't so, I didn't think about that. Yeah, exactly right. No, so, so good. Yes. <coughs> um, this leads kind of right into the first point I wanted to make about the ending, which is the music is so brilliant that it, it almost makes it that whatever question I'm left with or like, oh, I, I don't get it. Did we just yeah. kill all the espers by doing this? Is, did, did we genocide the espers <laughs> yeah. or whatever it might be? It feels like an artistic... <laughs> decision you it's, know it's almost like forgivable because the music is so <laughs> freaking so ma majestic it's just <laughs> yeah. it's unbelievable yeah. when especially i mean um if this were if this were used now in a modern film soundtrack it would be yeah. just god-like unbelievable like all-time great music for sure. a film soundtrack yeah, yeah now you take into account this was in 1995 in a video, <laughs> game, a video game and it's like what the fetch <laughs> dude <laughs> what the fetch yeah. the use so good. the use of leitmotif here is absolutely genius yeah and that's right and the way the songs move into each other, right? Like the movements. Yeah, kind it's of it's a medley. Mix. Oh, it's so. And good. it is it is just per, a perfect reflection of the whole journey, and all the characters and yeah. the theme of the game, which we've all been hammering on at this point about that ray of light in the hopelessness and the being able to let go of previous attachments and move forward and yeah. fight for you know uh, for the future instead of being. Trapped in your past trapped and all past. of that stuff. Locked in the past. It is, it is all said with music. Yeah. In, in, well. in, and it's, it, you just feel it. And this is something that I, I did a video on a couple of years ago, but there's something about music that is intuitive, emotionally intuitive in a way that language seems to not be capable of. Yes, there, absolutely. There, there seems yep. to be something that is communic that can be communicated through music that is stronger, more resonant emotionally, yeah. more 
I guess, spiritual, although that's not really the word I want to use, but touches you somewhere that language can only like approach, but not quite get to, or language gets there when it's accompanied by music. (laughs) There you go. go. Poetry poetry and music. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So in the video, I I, kind of talked about, I, I was doing some research at the time and, you know, I don't know if any of this research stands today as it did oh, at the yeah. time I did the research, which was several years ago. Four or five years ago. Yeah. But there there were some ideas um, out there that music may have predated language. Yes, in, in yes, terms I've of like that. human evolution. I think Pinker and, and Dawkins, I've heard them talk about that before. Right. Yeah. And so like rhythm and music was mm-hmm. maybe the first way in which humans started communicating to each other yeah. even before spoken word or through language or writing or whatever it might be. And you, you look at into the animal kingdom, there are a lot of animals that do dances or that yeah. have different rhythms and they communicate this way. And, and that yeah. seems intuitive. It seems like yeah. that's probably true, right? Different pitch and different rhythms. Right. So there is something about music that is, is that goes deeper somehow in communicating specific types of emotions. And for whatever reason, Nobu Oematsu among others at this time <laughs> seemed to be on the planet at the right stage in time to speak directly to me. <laughs> ah, there you go. And yeah. this is just amazing. And it, it's not something I can articulate. I don't think it's possible because again, I, I, I feel like the music speaks for itself. You kind of just have to feel it with the music. I can't really describe it, but as I'm listening to that, and this is what I think all great RPGs should do in their endings. And, and this is another thing Chrono Trigger does really well. Mm-hmm. You get to the end, and as you're watching the credits, you reflect over the journey yeah, yeah. through the music yes. and visuals. There's, there's not dialogue, because you're just seeing credits roll or whatever it right. might be. But you're like thinking back on yeah. what did we learn through this <laughs> yeah. experience? You know, like what, 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 was the, what was the meat of this? What was the point? What was it that we took away from this? And the music is sort of taking you back from the beginning to the end of the journey. And that's what Leitmotif is so good at doing because mm. we're revisiting character moments. We're revisiting scenes. We're revisiting impactful parts of that story through music that, was, that tied us to those parts through the use of melody and theme. Right, so that theme represented this, and that theme represented this, but now it's done in this different way um, that sort of all, is all weaved together in this medley that just like takes you through the whole journey a second yeah. time yes, during yeah. the credits section. And that is my absolute favorite way of doing a credit sequence. Yeah. To me- This game did that very well. Yeah, that's the best way to end a game like this, yeah. uh, is to make you relive it <laughs> yeah. again and, and, and go like, oh man, that was so great. And, and so whatever parts of this that we're about to go into and be like, I don't know about this, just understand like yeah. it's it, 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 all of it to me is, is forgivable because of how artistically crafted this sequence is. The, the visuals too, like the way the ship flies through all these different vistas is yeah, just so, so cool. beautiful. Especially for its time, man. It's unbelievable. So, so good. It's so cool. Yeah. And they do the same thing with the epoch the time traveling in machine and Chrono Trigger yeah, that flies right. around the world and stuff. Right. Yeah. Um, I love that. I yeah, love that cool. thing of going th- again. It's kind of like you're revisiting places in the world. Yeah. You're revisiting the musical themes. You're revisiting the story again. Old you're friends. going through it. Yeah. You're uh, re you're re uh, you're reliving the journey in yeah. this sort of compact form. So I love that about this. You know, the, the word remember is yes. 
to put together again, right? Yes. So to remember something is to piece things back together. Because, like, think of the word dismember. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Take, <laughs> Take it apart. apart. To remember yeah. is to put it all back together. And that's what the music does in this uh, scene. It, it re-puts back together the whole game, mm-hmm. right, up to the point, And it helps you to then remember in your mind the whole story of the game and, and experience it kind of like as a single moment. Mm-hmm. Instead of this like 30, 40 hour thing, right. it's like, boom, this like five minute piece that just like, it just remembers the game in your mind, <laughs> yeah. right? Just like eat without you even wanting it to, it just happens, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's something that's really hard to explain. It's, it's very cool. Really cool. And, and another thing I really love about this is that during this credits sequence, they're, they're, they're showing the escape from the, yes. the, the, the towers, it's It took collapsing. me a minute to realize that's what they were doing. I thought yeah. we were seeing scenes from the distant from past. From the past or something. But it's yeah. like, no, this is all happening now. Yeah, right. Uh, so, because you see the book, there's like an open book and like pages are yeah, flipping. Yeah, and I feel like they, they rotoscoped photographs of a real book. Because there's like, like five There's pages. like motion blur on it and stuff it that makes good. it look very realistic. It looks really good. Yeah, I feel like that's what they did, but. That could be it. Um. But they and they bring some humor back in because it the the world of ruin has sort of lacked that a little bit in, in comparison to the first part of the game where yeah, yeah. it was full of levity and humor all the time, and and so these all these little escape sequences they show with the characters are really funny and 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 charming. Um, so you know you see they they you know like you were saying cyan as cyan garland cyan as, yeah <laughs> and and you know they show his they show his katana kind of on that yeah. little table, right? And they have his theme playing in, in, a, in yep. a new form, in a leitmotif. And then they show a little scene, Edgar, Cyan, could you hit that switch down there? Because he's holding on. And and Cyan's like, oh, <laughs> so <funny>. mechanical <laughs> devices are not my strong point. It's like, dude, push a button. <laughs> and he, <laughs> he doesn't know what to do. Well, he like looks at it from it. all different perspectives. <laughs> he's like trying to figure it out. And then he like, just boom, like gets on it. I do believe I'm getting better though. I liked that better yeah, in yeah. the Woolsey version where he's like, you got to show... The machine who's boss or something <laughs> like right. that. Because right? he like jumps on it. Yeah. Oh, it's so and then, you know, sets her and you have the cards falling, you know. Yeah. Um, and he says, wait, like whatever you think, because uh, there's two paths. It's like, which way should we go? And he flips the coin and he's like, no, not that way. Go that way. Yes. And like that one had an explosive device or some sort of booby trap. <laughs> Sometimes in you have to feel, feel your, your way, way through, through these situations. Yeah. Yep. And then it says something about Daryl. You know, that was what you always used to say, wasn't That's it, Daryl? Right. That's right. And then for Edgar and Sabin, they have the coin flipping on the yep. little table there, right? Yeah. It's not like I wanted to dump all my responsibility on you, says Sabin. I knew you'd look out for the kingdom. I wanted to be able to look out for you. That's why I went off to become stronger. Uh, and then... In SNES, he says, I guess that's why I have these stupid muscles. <laughs> <laughs> yes, right. <laughs> I guess that's, that's so what funny. these stupid muscles are for or whatever like, he says. Yeah, he's, he's, <laughs> I love him. Man. After that, you get Mog, and I think his is some kind of music box or something like that, like a tree oh, yeah. music box, and little Moogles are like dancing in front of it. Uh, help me, Koopo. The hair. Watch the hair. I'm not a stuffed animal, Koopo. Um, Umaru's after that. I think that's the skull and bones. It won't open. So Celeste just comes and like punches his way through the wall. <laughs> yeah. Right. That's right. That's right. Gogo's next. We already talked about that one. He has to mimic what Celeste yeah. does to like open the path. I think his was a mask or something on the table. Uh, forgot what was gauze again? His oh. little trinket. Oh, it's oh, it was the, the, it's helmet. the helmet. The helmet. Yeah, yeah, the underwater device. The underwater helmet. Yeah. That was great, actually. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> shortcut. Take shortcut. And he just like falls down the mountain. That <laughs> <laughs> was even funnier because at the end, after he's like, good, that worked. Great. It and then he pushes Celeste further down. <laughs> shortcut. Go. <laughs> shortcut. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. Loved it. 
And then uh, for Locke and Celeste, it's the the bun, the the roses, and then the bandana. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, come on, this place is. Bre- I actually really liked this one. The place is breaking apart, yeah. and Celeste is running, and she drops the she bandana drops, that yeah. she had got from the bird. From the mm. from, I, I'm, I don't know if it's a dove or a seagull, but it was probably a seagull. Probably a seagull. A white, but it's also it's fulfills the role of something like a carrier pigeon. <laughs> yeah, sure. So yeah, that's true. They so use they use it as it's that. It's either a pigeon or a seagull, but it's white. So yeah. doves are basically just white pigeons. Yeah, right. <laughs> and so like I say dove because it helps. You know, it's a yeah. white bird either way. So she goes back for it, and she starts to she slips as the ground breaks, and he catches her and i won't let you go this is yeah. what happened with rachel rachel fell he That's wasn't right. able to grab her That's he right. grabbed celeste oh, i promise shoot. you i won't I didn't let make go that connection ah. pulls her up are you crazy you almost got yourself killed for that and they run off you know he pushes her forward so, so i she, liked that yeah, moment good. for that reason and then tara is last um i i didn't get hers it's like two like little wine glasses or something I, yeah two cups one I, of them was heavily ornamented the yeah. other one was like just a plain cup i I in my mind, I was, no, well, okay, I don't know, but in my mind, I was like, oh, like, holy grail, right? You have this, like, really nice cup, and then you have this, like, the plain, oh, like the cup a more of a plain one. Yeah. I don't know what it was trying to say, but I that, all I thought of was like, oh, it kind of looks like a grail. Hmm. I have no idea what Me that's neither. supposed to Me represent. Me neither, really. Not a clue. Maybe somebody in the comments, like, Mix is about to tell uh, us. Maduin <laughs> and Madeline. Uh, human and divine, so the plain cup, and, the and then the golden uh, chalice. Okay, okay, sure, that okay. could be it. Okay, I buy it. I buy it. Well, um, well especially because she the chose wisely. Is what <laughs> Snipeland says. There you go. He chose poorly. So I buy that because in this scene, this was my this was my favorite one. Um, Maduin, the 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 magicite leaves because all the magicite right. are sort of disappearing now they're sort of like dissolving yeah. and going well, they're away ba- they seem to be back in Sid- sid's lab yeah because right? i guess that got sort of encompassed in the tower it's like yeah, it's all, all of all of um vector sort of like it's crazy. amalgamated into this yes. tower or something which was a move upwards just like all of the, yeah. the goddesses got you know turned into this upward moving thing yeah basically the ziggurat which I was already comparing to the Tower of Babel. Yeah, <laughs> right. Being a ziggurat became this really tall tower with the judgment <laughs> of God trying to, you know, pull down the heavens and right. end the world. And I'm like, okay, and now it's definitely the Tower of Babel. Yeah. Um, so she says, Father, and Madwin says, Tara, we must part now. We espers will disappear from this world. You will fade away as well. Because she's half esper. Mm. Madwin says, but perhaps <laughs> if the human part of you feels something strong enough, then maybe... Just maybe you'll be able to remain here as a human. So, so the legend is true. <laughs> Whether she disappears or stays, the magic that she had will go. Yeah, either way. Yeah, and she'll become a true human at Just that point. Just a normal person with yeah. no magic. Yeah. Right. That's what she'll lose if she ends up staying. But she needs to have attachments on Earth, which, anyways, it's just an interesting. Yeah, that that word. that was what I was about to say is yeah, like the whole like game that. is about leaving behind your attachments, and then it's like, hey, and if then it's you're like really if, attached, you, if you get really attached to yeah. something on this Earth, maybe you can stay around longer. And you know, there's a little dissonance in thematically dissonance. in is. a couple of things here, and but. even in in Japan, which heavily emphasizes kind of that Buddhist way of kind of you know learning to let go and, yeah. and take life in in flow. Um, one of the ideas within um, at least ancient Japanese belief was that the reason why spirits linger on the earth after they die is because of their attachments to the earth. Yeah. So now he's saying, hey, 
you can linger on earth if you have these hardcore attachments as though it's a good thing. Even, I think even in Japan, they would look at that and briefly do a double take. Like, okay, but you're going to have to get rid of those again at some point. Yeah, right. Um, Okay, so let's move on to Realm here. So Realm's, what was her trinket? It was uh, the the paintbrush, the paintbrush. You know what, real quick, because of what we just said. Yeah. I wonder if the Japanese version of the script doesn't use the word attachment. I wonder if it's just something like love or something that would make a little more. I don't I have actually, the internet. I can't do well, it. Well, I don't, I don't, I'm not sure the word attachment was even used in the English version. I just in, think he says if you feel strongly f- towards something, which oh, is the okay, same thing. Okay. It, okay, okay. But I don't think he uses the word attachment. I just know just that to so, be clear. somebody may, you know, think that I've made a quote up and maybe I did. Maybe I did. <laughs> um, but there, I just, you know, caused me to raise my eyebrow a little bit. Yes. And I, I think you have a reason to, and we'll go over that in a minute. Once we get through the rest of this. Yes. So hers is the paintbrush, Realm's relic that's on the table. Grandpa, don't give up yet. Sorry, dear. (laughs) Any more whining out of you and I'll paint your picture. Oh, no, anything but that. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. Uh, Realm says, but, you know, someday I really would like to paint your portrait on a canvas, I mean. Oh, Realm, look what you've done. You've made me go all misty-eyed and now I can't see where we're going. (laughs) So they continue on. Shadows is an, it's like a, what was it? It was like an apple. And then he like throws two ninja stars into it. So it's like sitting oh, there. Oh, that's like, sitting. Okay. And then yeah. it like two, I can't remember. It's something round. Sweet. Is it like an apple? Anyways, it's something like a fruit that's sitting there and like two ninja stars go like go into it. Sweet. And then he's with the interceptor. Go on interceptor. Yep. Get going. Take care of yourself, boy. And then he says, Baram, it looks like I'm finally. I'm, I can finally stop running. Come and find me, all right? So he sends Interceptor away. Yeah. And he goes somewhere else, and he's just sort of like sitting in a corner. But he, is he, he's on the airship at the end, right? Like, he gets out. He I does. Think. I don't know if the I'm dog, actually I don't know if the dog did. Did the dog get out? Can somebody pull up a screenshot <laughs> of the end? I'm, I'm now trying to think of what he means by this. Baram, it looks like I, fi- I can finally stop running. Come and find me, all right? Brahm's dead, right? <laughs> so is he like allowing himself mm. to die in the destruction? But I'm pretty sure he's on the ship at the end. He's on the airship. This is um, Ritavu saying he's not. I don't think you see Shadow again, says Ritavu. Because I, I didn't think of that while I was watching it. Now I'm trying to like conjure it in my mind. I can't remember yeah, seeing Mick him says on the ship. He allows himself to die. Yeah. So he, he basically sends Interceptor and then he just la- lets himself get killed in the freaking collapse I of the tower he did he has helped save the world and he's just done with life now he's gonna go uh say sorry to baram i guess interesting um yeah so i was oh. i was kind of like well wait a second but i guess yeah it's true he let himself die in the destruction of the tower okay um strago come on strago can't let yourself uh be shown up by a bunch of kids he says to himself and he runs and jumps <laughs> onto the crane right that's right because he can't he can't reach <laughs> it yeah gotcha and he you know, pulls it down and they get carried up into the ship. Okay. So now everybody's on the ship. And as this is happening, the magicite just keeps like yes. disappearing and disintegrating. And yes. Uh, okay. Yeah. So follow me. Tara is flying out and they're following her in the airship. She's sort of guiding them out. The last piece of magicite. Oh no. It goes up and like disappears. Tara, you, you've done enough. Your power's getting weaker and she's falling out of the sky. And so yeah. sets her sort of dies with the ship yes. to like catch her. Right. But, it makes everyone pass out. Yeah. <laughs> everyone on the ship is like passed out because the G force, um, I guess. Yeah, I think so. I think because at first I was like, why is everyone passed out? What happened? And it's like Tara's on the ship, but we saw her fall. And I'm like, Oh, 
that must be what happened. He yeah. must have just totally dived and then some crazy then, G's. Yeah. yeah. And then uh, everyone just passed out. Yeah. So uh, let's see. Terra, you've done enough. Okay. Blah, 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 blah. Terra's power fade. She begins to fall from the sky. Don't give up. Katarine, I won't either. Um, That's right. Now they're kind of waving to everyone on the ground yeah. now from their airship. This is so, really cool. Um, there's a. Oh, what do we call this? Um, this is it. So Terra helps everybody escape. We're above the clouds, right? So the kids go up to that, the falls, the waterfall place where that shot is just really beautiful. And the kids are looking up and you don't see the airship. You just see basically a star. Yes. Like, like I love that Moving shot. across the sky. I love that shot. And I'm like, oh, that's it, man. Just that, once again, the, the star hope, ray of yep, hope, light, yep. you know, in the distance, all of yep. that stuff. Really good. It really shines. They have through. a really it's similar so cool. shot in Chrono Trigger with the streaking. We recreated this in one of our videos remember, across yeah. the sky. You know that she's that's like a lens flake, way off in the distance. Yeah. So the kids see the ship fly through the sky as a shooting star. Right. Um, Terra falls, but then they're able to catch her. Katarine has the baby. Right. So a yep. child is born. A child is born in the new yep. world with hope. The world is renewed. The plant that those kids had planted earlier and that wasn't growing, it oh, sprouted. Yeah. sprouted. It sprouted up out of the ground. Yep. Um, it is morning. It is spring. Uh, Tara, at this point, she undoes her hair, right? She takes the mm -hmm. ponytail and out starts, and her hair starts flowing, right? It's awesome. So she... She's free. She's free. She's finally. no longer yep. bound by her other half or by any pressure from the world. She mm. can now go do whatever she wants to do. And you know what's yep. so funny about this, this uh, game? I don't know what she wants to do herself other than be a mother. Be a mother That's a big to one. the kids. Yeah. She wants to go be a mother. <clears throat> but like, we don't know her that well. We yeah. only really ever got to see this like very stressed out, like tons of pressure on her all the time. People telling her what to do. That's mm. the Tara we saw up until the orphanage. That's the only time we actually got to see her making her own decisions. Yeah. And then even after that, she, we, we, you know, we bring her along with us and we really don't get, her, she basically has to save us all the time, mm -hmm. all the time until finally it's like she can go be herself. And there, what's really cool about that isn't just, I'm not lamenting that they didn't develop her character. I think her character's plenty developed, but the question's still there. What would she do? But that's part of the idea is that the potential for her is just infinite. Yeah. She is free as a bird. She can do anything. Mm -hmm. I know what all these other characters are going to do, but I don't know exactly what she's going to do exactly yeah. because there are too many possibilities. Yep. I think that's kind of cool. Yeah, actually. it's great. And, <laughs> and it's it's leading it wide open and it's leading the choice yeah. to her. Yes, like, exactly. It's like she can do whatever she wants to do. Yeah. And and that's like, the, it, it's all represent. And I love how they represent that with the, the birds flying and you see them flying. Tons of birds, man. All over. The, the <laughs> skies have been filled with birds once again. <laughs> all these uh, seagulls or doves or whatever they are, pigeons <laughs> yeah. are flying free and she's like them now. She yeah, feels yeah. as they do. She's, like you said, free, free like a bird. So. Yep. Um, these and shots are just the shots are beautiful. just. <laughs> so I, I don't good. think there's better <laughs> so good shots on the Super Nintendo. Like I feel like yeah. Chrono Trigger and Terranigma both mm. have similar imagery to this game as yeah. their sort of ending credits are going on. This really beautiful, cool Super Nintendo like pseudo they're trying to make it look almost 3d yes, i love the shot yeah. as the ship like comes down and almost touches the water and yeah and you, you see, see the, the ripples in the water ah, the so speed cool. of the ship like things like that but this is the best of all games that ever tried something like yeah, this the, yeah. the, the imagery is just it's phenomenal um but it, it gives a similar feeling as uh, i think the three best games that do this idea i'm talking about where they sort of revisit the themes of the game they revisit 
you go you go through your journey again during the credits. Oh uh, yes, yeah. Remember. Chrono Trigger, Terra Enigma, and Final Fantasy VI. The, each of them embody this concept. I the have best. not. I've I've not played Terra Enigma. We're playing it. We better. It's gonna if, be on the next if vote. People for, vote for it. So obviously, the next vote is between like game sequels of games we've already covered before. Yeah. But I'm considering the one after that being okay. let's do more SNES RPGs Sick, please. and having Terranigma Chrono Trigger on that. Oh, man. So um, that's uh, that's not for sure yet. I'm just thinking that for now. But the thing is, is the thing that's unfortunate is Chrono Trigger will get picked. I and know. I, I was going to say, not yeah, that I'm complaining. You just mentioned <laughs> to me the Chrono Trigger. I'm sorry. Terranigma is not winning that it's one. It's not winning, but that's, that's bull crap that at least <laughs> it's not, on the same level in people's <laughs> minds because it's as good. Yeah. Like, if I were to rank it, I think Chrono Trigger would beat it out a little bit in my yeah. mind just because the time I played it, I really needed that game. It has a very special place in my heart because of it. But Terra Enigma is just as good as Chrono Trigger. In situations like these, we need a poll that um, allows for ranked choice voting <laughs> <laughs> so that Terra Enigma has a chance. <laughs> right. Otherwise, it's just going to be like 90% Chrono Trigger. Yeah. Terra Enigma is amazing, and we will play it at some point. But it, it does a similar thing at the end. It, it, oh, has, cool. it has birds flying. Nice, and stuff like nice. That. Anyway, now, for the last few minutes, we want to talk about oh, oh, real some quick. things. Before we do this, there's one last thing I have to bring up. I should have brought this up for Kefka. My note came for it later. I can't remember why. Um, okay. Mix, once again, this is like the fourth time I'm bringing him up. Okay, we split this into two, though. So this is, anyways, I, I bring him up a lot because he and I are like twins separated at birth, <laughs> I'm pretty sure, um, you know, some time ago. And um, he and I think very similarly, but he sent me... On the on our Discord, he sent me the play uh, Caligula from oh, right. uh, Albert Camus, and it is something else. That is the that is that was a crazy play for me to like. Um, I listened to it, but I also read it, and it is it is absolute madness. You can find this on YouTube. You can read the script online. It's all available, but it's basically like a nihilist. Um, it's a his, it's a historical piece talking about Emperor Caligula who lived like 40 AD, like a long time ago. And he was like considered just a horrific emperor. Now Nero was probably worse, but just came a little bit after him. But he was just ruthless. He mm. would just murder and just like he would execute people all the time. Uh, but like uh, Albert Camus kind of wrote this play around the historical figure Caligula to kind of try to explain a little bit about maybe what went wrong in his life. Because when he started acting crazy is when his sister died. Mm. And Camus kind of has this, the play is crazy because I don't know what's historical and what's not. Um, mm, Caligula right. was crazy. But in the play, Caligula, his sister who died was also his mistress and uh, lover. Of right? course. So there's weird stuff going on right off the bat with with Caligula. But Basically, he takes this Kefka spiral into madness, madness right? Yep. And uh, nihilism is part of it. Um, but as you mentioned, it's not, it's not pure nihilism. It's yeah. also absurdism. Yeah. And that's what Camus is really well known for. Um, because he, he starts to act just absolutely irrationally and erratically in just the craziest ways. In fact, at one point during the play, he discovers a plot to kill him. And he like rips up the paper and puts it in the garbage and doesn't tell anybody that he just uncovered a plot to kill him. In fact, I think it's a woman who tells him and he says, okay, whatever. Just like, like, do you want me to do anything about it? And he's like, no, like just 
whatever happens, happens, right? Yeah. But not in a good way, not in like, and I'm accepting this. It's like, he wants people to kill him. And in order for people to kill him, he is going to kill everybody until someone finally kills him. Mm. He's leaving that possibility open. He allows people to be armed so that they can kill him. But everyone's afraid to kill him because he's the emperor, mm. right? So he just goes harder and harder and harder. He murders so many people. He has, he's, it's just like rape and torture and just like, he is just so bad to his own people. He's, or he's arranging a famine so that his whole empire will basically just burn and everyone will die just so that someone will eventually just kill him right That's because crazy. he found he finds no meaning in life this is it's absolute madness it's the craziest play i've ever read in my entire <laughs> freaking life but it is the closest i think that we can get to kefka yeah. right and how it's just like kefka there is no meaning he doesn't know he has no like uh, purpose except the purpose he creates which is to end everything so that he can build a monument to nothingness hold on what is the that exact line quote? right we were looking um, for that i will destroy everything i will create a monument to non-existence that's a really good line because yeah. think about it what would a monument to non-existence be and he's like, I'm going to take all of this instead of taking what isn't there and turning it into a monument. I'm going to take all the monuments that do exist and destroy them. And it will be the greatest monument. Yeah. Once again, talking about the, if I bring up the Triforce, talking about the upside down triangle, not really being a thing. It's nothing. It's just empty space. Right. But in the empty space, that is the monument, right? Yeah. That is the monument to nothingness is the space in between. Anyways, it's wild. But he's going to create just this absolutely horrific scenario. Um, but there's this line written by Albert Camus about his work here um, that I think uh, it exemplifies uh, Caligula as well as Kefka. He wrote, one cannot destroy without destroying oneself. Mm. And that's what Camus kind of brings up throughout this play. And I think that's essentially what happens with Kefka. Because when we finally beat him, he just disintegrates. Yeah. There, I don't think there's a last word from him. No. Right? He he's just, he's just gone. He, yeah. he disappears. He becomes the monument to nothingness that he was trying to build elsewhere. Yeah. Right? But there's this really haunting line at the end of the play Caligula, where as Caligula is finally killed by the people around him, who just cannot abide his existence any longer, his last words are, I'm still alive. He yeah. shout. He's stabbed in the face and in the abdomen, and while he's like choking on his own blood, he shouts out, "I'm still alive!" Like, I can you? I just, <laughs> I, I've been thinking about that ever since I read it, and I'm like, until he is, until his consciousness disappears into nothing, he's still there. Yeah. And it doesn't matter what happens as, and and once he's nothing, it is nothing. It doesn't matter. Mm. Like it's just this weird kind of thing, and that as he's as they're trying to kill him, he's shouting out that he is still alive. And um, it's absolute madness. It's crazy. But Kefka didn't really have that moment. He just kind of disintegrates, right? Yeah, right. Uh, but I did want to bring up um, Caligula's play because if anybody wants to get to know Kefka better, <laughs> you, you can read Caligula by Albert Camus and you'll get to know Kefka pretty well and why he does what he does. Mm. Um, for, for, for all the nonsensicalness of it, it is underlined by a logic mm. that is... If that is, that is I, I, something along the lines of a nihilist, nihilistic logic, that is, if there is nothing, then I will make there be nothing. Or, or if there is nothing, then nothing matters. Some, or if there is no meaning, then nothing means anything. And if nothing means anything, then whatever. He just takes it to this extreme that most people don't take it to. Yeah, right. But that he uses it, like you said, as an excuse as an to excuse just like justification. bring it about and just to get all of the deepest, darkest desires of his heart to be manifest. And... 
what he's trying to do is to become a god. Yeah. In fact, Caligula spends a large amount of the play trying to trying to catch the moon. Oh, jeez. Literally, one day he just he disappears for months and he comes back with ragged clothes and he's just all sunburnt and jacked up. And they're like, "Where have you been?" He's like, "I was trying to catch the moon." <laughs> Dude, you, what are you doing? <laughs> what are you doing? He's the emperor, right? Yeah. Okay, I'm done talking about Caligula, now, but you guys should all read it. It That's is nuts. it is an incredible work. Of, that sounds of art. awesome. I'm totally gonna. It's do really it. good. <laughs> okay, now let's yeah, talk let's, about the. So ending there's here. a couple of things that felt a little dissonant to us thematically about this. Now, I've had some more thoughts even just since we started the podcast uh, that I'll add to this. So we're going to bring up some things that people in Patreon are mentioning, and we're going to bounce them back and forth. But this is obviously an invitation to the audience to also share their thoughts on this in the description. Our thoughts on this are not... Comments. Yes. And... uh, Our thoughts are not final. Not final on this. But let's talk, because... So I think the biggest issue that we had with this is, okay, so let's, let's start with this. The reason why magic is disappearing from the world and all the magicites yeah. g- dissolving and all that and why Tara would have too had she not had her strong attachments to the children of Moblus is because their life force came originally from the triad, from the gods. Yeah. So the right. gods came to this world. They, they happened upon this world, I believe is how the lore states this happened. Yeah. They didn't make the world. They sort of like came uh, upon it. And they're like, oh, hmm. look at this beautiful kingdom I can have. And they start warring with each other right. over it. And they, they, Ooh, they take the living beings of the world and transform them into, into espers, espers yes. as automatons to fight yeah. their wars against each other. So espers right? were once beings, physical beings. Right? Yes. Yeah. They were or once. they are still. But. They were once, I don't know if it was humans or animals or both of this world that they found that were transformed into these magical beings by the gods' power. So the, the, the life force of the espers comes from the warring triad. So when Kefka fused with them, when he, when he absorbed their power, he became the source of the life force of all magic and all the espers. Yeah. So when the party kill Kefka, they all go away as well. So the the thought here is, well, there was these mentions earlier. There seemed to be sort of a running theme here that Terra was meant to represent this hope that espers and humans can coexist, that she was proof of that because she was the result of a union between a human and an esper. And yes, see, we can coexist. This can happen. But it seems at the end that no... They can't. No, they can't. That seems to be what the game is saying. Magic doesn't belong in this world. It was brought here by invading gods. And now that we've gotten rid of them, the world will go back to what it was before they interfered. And espers are all dead. Now, it's a very ambiguous sort of thing. We don't know what happens to the spirit of espers, whether they rejoin with the spirit of the, I mean, did the gods die too? Or did the gods go somewhere else to another spiritual realm and the espers souls go rejoin with them or something like that since they originally birthed from them? We don't know the answers to this question. We don't, except that the espers were physical beings of of Earth Earth, or this planet. Or the planet. Therefore... 
why would when they die, why would they go to some special new yeah. heaven kind of place? You know, the, the the idea is, did we just genocide all of those creatures? That's what I'm thinking, and uh, that's kind of like a not great thing to yes. think about or linger on. It we doesn't genocided the creatures, <laughs> and I mean we had to kill Kafka. I don't know. Yeah, you got to break an. You can't make an omelet without breaking eggs, right? That's the thing. <laughs> but and also also. Humans and espers cannot coexist. Cannot coexist. Not only can they not coexist where there needs to be a barrier, it's that the espers all need to die. Yes. Or die. And that, that seems to be a little antithetical to this thread they had been building yeah. that Tara was going to prove to everyone that, yes, we can coexist. I'm proof we can coexist. But not only yeah. that, it's not only that they can't, she can't keep that part of herself. Hmm. That part of what made her, that has to die yes. and go somewhere else it, if she needs to stay here. And she needs, yeah, to be attached. Yeah. So I don't know how I feel about that. <laughs> it does make me yeah. go like, hmm, a little bit. Like, I'm not sure I love that. I had to but think about it afterwards because I'm like, this was a sweet ending. But why do I like, what exactly happened? And what are the implications of this? Yes. And, and yeah, it's kind of difficult to swallow. So. I, I, I did a little bit of searching to try and find out, mm. like, okay, what happened to them? Has there been anything stated about this? And I didn't find anything. Um, so, but, but maybe there, uh, that doesn't mean it doesn't exist. I mean, there's already been many times in which, you know, I didn't know something and somebody in the, yes. in the chat here has shared an interview I haven't seen or whatever. So maybe there is an explanation somewhere. Maybe somebody knows. Uh, well, let me just start with this one since it's here. Yeah. He said he bumped it. This it could is... be a long shot, but I need to refine this thought more. I was wondering if it was directed towards magic and the War of the Magi. The whole world of FF6 is attached <laughs> or bogged down by the history of the War of the Magi, which yeah. is humanity enhanced with the power of magic that bring down destruction on each other and uh, to the world. And that, I guess it has to be that way. Magic yeah. can never be used like technology, like in a good way. It has to be it's always eliminated because it always turns bad. And while it's about holding on to human memories, it could also be about moving forward without any recourse to magic or the divine symbolizing the faith in humanity to break the cycle of the War of the Magi and to create a new future apart from a dependence on magic and its recurring threat of annihilation. I, I think right. that's, I think, I, I mean, I think all of that's probably true. It's just a shame that magic was then attached to these victimized creatures who have to die as a result of that. And like, that we can't accommodate them. No. In any way. Like, I would have liked it if somehow, like, the the power went out of Kefka and back into the Espers, and then they just left to some other realm. It's like, we can't stay in this world. Right. Because this will just happen over and over again. At and least so we didn't have to genocide them. We're going to go yes. with the gods now to, like, the gods place, wherever they were before <laughs> they came to this earth and screwed everything up. And they're <laughs> right. really sorry that they did that. <laughs> I mean, you know what I mean? Like, why, why do they have to die? And, and, and what type of death is it? Again, if it's, oh, they go live in the spirit realm with the gods now, then whatever, cool. But if it's, they, <laughs> if Kefka's right and they just dissolve into the void and don't exist anymore, that kind of sucks. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's, that's also fine. It could also just be the price that has to be paid for a new world, a sacrifice. We've talked about this in the past. There's yes. always a, 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 a sacrifice yep. for a rebirth of a new world, right? And this was the sacrifice. It's not like that. That's It'll come not, back to hunt him later. Yeah. It's but. not like that's not reflected in real life or that's not realistic to how things work in real life. I'm just right. saying it, it, it puts this little bit of 
uh, bitterness into the ending yes. that makes it a little harder it to swallow when you funny. think about that. Um, so he goes on to say, this is mix again. Yeah, the game is quite silent on the espers and the magicite in the world of ruin section. We don't even get to go back to the sealed gate. Right. The only thing we get is the war of the magi scene with Odin in the underground castle. I forgot we hadn't touched on that part yet. That's a whole other side quest. Seems a bit ambiguous. This is Ritavu. Ambiguous about what death means to an esper. Yeah. They seem less dead and more transformed. Transformed into consciousness. Into... Basically, a religious person would say that's still death. <laughs> like, right. You became a spirit. That's fine. Your physical existence is gone. Yeah. Um, let's see. We got WP here. How many espers are really left by the end? And right. Tara Most, leaves Madeline Many by. of them died. That's true. Most of them were already dead at this point. Well... Kefka was using them. I don't know. They were still magicite. Yeah, yeah. They weren't. I don't know. <laughs> um, Ritavi says, although I suppose it's true, even the magicite crumbles. Yeah, they're, they're, the magicite is disappearing. And, and Sniper Land is bringing up the Phoenix magicite, right? The Phoenix was notably too cracked to be fully powerful. So it, it, it couldn't be worked or it couldn't be used to revive Rachel. But. So Ritavu says that the idea of magic uh, connects with the idea of holding on to the past versus moving forward since Gestal was supposed to be reaching into the past for a great power. That's true. That's pretty good, except that now we're reaching even further back into the even more past before magic existed. And we're trying <laughs> to go back to that. So I don't know. Before the gods came, right? Yeah. Um, so that is a good question. Are there any espers left? Yeah. If all the espers willingly gave their lives to become magicite and then the magicite disappears, that's not a genocide as much. That's true. They, um, but did they know that was going to happen before they... I don't know what they Well, the, they must have known that. Yeah. The espers must have known that because they would have known I have a hard that, time believing that Kefka killed all of the espers well, that one day, that one time. Well, sure. All of them. Sure. If that, that, that all the espers came Every out. Every single one. Maybe yeah. they did, maybe they didn't. But But the important thing is... I think the espers certainly would have known that their life force is tied to the warring triad. Oh, I think so. I think if the espers are still aiding us in the world of ruin in our attempt to go kill Kefka, they would have known what happens to them so. if Kefka's killed. Because every now and then they still like talk. <laughs> yeah, yeah like they still Maduin. talk to us. Maduin still talk yeah. to us. I, I think there's even another. Well, and there's other magicites so that join knew. us in the world of ruin. And they know what we're ultimately trying to do, which is kill Kefka. And they Kefka's seem, now the source of their life force. They seem down with it. They, I, I would assume that they would know what would happen yes. and that they've chosen this. So if they've chosen assumption. this, that's different. I suppose so. And then the only question is that this game basically just reinforces that humans cannot live co-peacefully with, you know, yeah. mag magical beings. Um, Magic in this world do not uh, mix. That's the bad guy. Have you seen Legend of Korra, by the way? Season one? I have not. Okay, there's a bad guy in The Legend of Korra season one, which is the only good season of the whole show, um, where the guy's basically like, oh, the non-benders, it's not fair because the benders are all magical. We need to like take away the magic of all the benders so mm. that they can be normal like everyone else, and then we'll all be equal. It's like just preaching equality. Right. Um, so in this one, it's like the, the, the right thing is basically what the bad guy of Legend <laughs> of Korra was wanted. saying, where it's like, no, we can't live peacefully with the magic users. They, yeah. you know, it can only be the, the non-magic folk. Uh, Ritavu <laughs> here says, if we're exploring hope, then the idea of reaching towards a magical past is demonstrably doomed. Remove the magical past and there is only forward. Yeah, I like that. All the espers died, but they were of a prior generation that 
world belongs in the past. So maybe we I can think say there's something that there, there's the something there. espers are leaving their attachments behind mm-hmm. as well. There you go, sure, yeah. And allowing or accepting their deaths, right? So for the future, Choosing sacrificing themselves for, for, the for the future. Because they know like their existence here doesn't, isn't, well, it, it was... It was an invasion by the gods. Like right. their existence is sort of a perversion of what was here on this planet before yeah. the gods arrived. Yeah. Maybe they're accepting. I'm not saying that the game should have tried to explain this. I'm just saying, I wish just, I knew. I just want to know. Yeah, <laughs> just, just want to know. I'm just curious about it. Because that whole scene with Maduin and um, Madeline, I love it. It's Madoline, by the way, the, oh. the Japanese, M-A-D-O. So it's uh, still Mado, Mado. It's still, which means um, to be... Uh, seduced <laughs> yeah. uh, sort of names Madoline. Um, but, um, that scene where he's like, how will we know unless we try? Right. Mm-hmm. Well, they tried and it didn't work. So it didn't work. <laughs> <laughs> now we know. Now we know he can't do it. <laughs> uh, yeah. There, that's what I'm talking about though. Like that scene is, is a really powerful, it is uh, yeah. uh, uh, piece of abstract storytelling that was like building on this idea that, yeah. well, we've been told all along we can't coexist, but, but how, how do we, we know? know unless we try yeah. and they tried and then the game is saying, no, the game is, <laughs> you saying, actually can't, yeah, you can't. <laughs> I think I know at least in part why, and it is just general, the story of the Warring Triad. And I I think that I can read into this enough to say that this is, it's similar to Final Fantasy X in a lot of ways. It's just an anti-religious message where it just says, we'd be better off without all these gods and spirits and angels and demons and just just humans being humans. I think I think that's what now the writer tries to pallet that message and make it, you know, you know, put it into like a 10 year old game that like kids can play, you know, 10 year old meaning game for 10 year old kids. Um, <laughs> and then it, you know, the message gets all watered down and they can't really say that explicitly, but I think that I can read into it enough to say, that's what he's trying to say. I don't, if that's what he's trying to say, he didn't say it well, he, she, whoever it is, whoever they, the whole they, group of people. Yeah. Um, but um, I, I sense something like that where they're like, oh, the humans are finally free of these extra, um, what's, what's the word? These supernatural influences on their lives. Right. And how great is that? I, 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 I think it's more intrinsic to human nature, but that, that would be different to the, the view of whoever is giving me this message. <laughs> so, all right, let's leave it with this. Yeah. Uh, Ritavu has our last comment. My impression is that at least from Rama, Espers knew that the party's mission would doom them. In light of that, becoming Magicite was a more palatable way to take death. Weren't Espers essentially created by the goddesses to war against each other? Right. Yes. The goddesses disappearing would suggest the Espers no longer have a purpose in the world that now exists. But they can make a new purpose. Sure. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> what nihilism, right? Nihilism doesn't mean justify one way or the other. There's no meaning, but you can create your own meaning. Anyway. Okay. Thank you, everybody, for contributing that conversation. I'm sure it will continue in the comments, and I'm, I'm excited sure. to read it. Yeah. Uh, but that's just the one thing, really. Like, the one thing left of this that I'm kind of just like, I'm not sure how I like the taste of that part, of this delicious morsel. Of this <laughs> it's like, um, um, you're like, have you ever it, had, like, a dessert or something yeah, that's like, really yeah. good? It's but like, there's like, was that there's a just raisin? some note in there somewhere that's just like, hmm, <laughs> yes, hmm, yeah. wait a minute, like... There's something something funky in that. Like my grandma's cookies, because she would leave her <laughs> butter in the freezer for too long, and it, it would the cookies would be so good. But I'd get this hint of of my grandma's freezer that I was like licking her fridge because the butter. <laughs> so, anyways, we'll leave it off our final. I love my grandma. Analysis on that note. Thank you for watching. 
Um, and we will see you again next week. Yeah. Peace out. Near Automata. <laughs>